0: Welcome to the MSG pod. I'm Heung Black. And I'm Mimi A. And this is the Lunar New Year edition. Happy New Year! Happy New Year, everyone. Happy Lunar New Year. (laughs) 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 So So Lunar New Year obviously is um,
1: celebrated in various countries in the world, including Vietnam. So Heung, I'm going to ask you, what are you doing for, is it Tet? How do you say it?
0: Tet, it's called Tet. I'm going to go around to my dad's. And I'm gonna pick up traditional sticky rice cake. It's called Mengjung. It's sticky rice, mung bean and belly pork, and it's kind of encased the sticky rice and it's all boiled for hours and hours and end in banana leaf. And then I'm gonna cut it up and then I'm gonna fry it. And have that with some pickles. And you, what are you what are you what are you up to for new year?
1: I technically don't <laughs> don't celebrate Lunar New Year because Burmese New Year is actually in April. But I am one quarter Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> but this is kind of random. So my grandfather on my dad's side is the son of a Chinese man and a Shan woman. Shan being one of the ethnic groups in Burma. And the the Chinese man who who his uh, his dad had only had daughters and was desperate for a son and got a surrogate to get a son (laughs) and that was my grandfather and he was really happy because hey he's got a son and and I think I think it was his wetness. I'm a bit vague about this but basically my grandfather got kidnapped as a child (laughs) so after all that effort my great-grandfather the Chinese man did not get to bring up his own son
0: And so my grandfather was... I don't know why we're laughing. This is a horrible story. (laughs) The
1: thing is, this is how we talk about it in my family. So my grandfather was brought up Burmese. So I don't actually know very much at all about my Chinese heritage, apart from the fact that apparently there is like a a gravestone or some kind of memorial in Yunnan, which is the part of China that my great-grandfather was from which has all the names of the male descendants <laughs> engraved on it including my nephews <laughs> but not any of the women because <laughs> we don't know <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, to celebrate the fact that I have a great-grandfather who was Chinese who who, who didn't want any female descendants, <laughs> I've actually ordered a Lunar New Year feast from Eat La, who are an outfit based in Croydon, and it it looks absolutely amazing, so I'm going to be cooking that up. The only thing is, it hasn't got any instructions. Um, I don't know if it was meant to have, so I'm just going to bodge it. But it's going to be delicious anyway. It'll be nice. It'll, be, It'll be good. That sounds good. And then, of course, our guest is going to talk about this a bit more. But you and I are going to be <laughs> talking about food and whatever else we get <laughs> asked about for BC's Twitch celebration for Lunar New Year. Yeah, with Kim Nano Sounds mm-hmm, indeed. So you will hear more about that soon. <laughs> On this week's podcast, we have the wonderful Viv Yao, who is a British-born Chinese businesswoman, podcaster, activist, and one sixth of Seen, which is Britain's East and Southeast Asian network. Welcome, Viv. Thank you. Welcome, oh my Viv. god! Hello. Thank you. Thank
2: you for having me. That sounds so good when you like phrase it like that. <laughs> Bloody hell! It's all true. Though.
0: <laughs> we have a list of massive list of achievements and all the things okay. and busy things that you are involved in. So
2: you I think it's, I don't feel that busy I feel like I waste a lot of time watching shitty Netflix stuff we'll ask you for your recommendations
1: later then <laughs> yes yes
0: do you want to tell us a little bit about the petition that you started in the summer last year
1: yeah of course um god it
2: feels like so long ago because it it was so long ago and actually um I, I started a petition at the end of it was July I think, because. I was just seeing so much on the news about how um, East and Southeast Asian people were depicted in like COVID related media. Like I just, every time I went on BBC, it was always like coronavirus and then a picture of like someone who looks like me or similar to me wearing a mask or like on the street. And it was just that again and again and again and again. And I remember like, complaining to the BBC about it I would write in I would tweet them I would just like hammer them and stalk them until they changed the images on each article um and a few people within Instagram were helping me do that as well um and then on Twitter too And then I uh, emailed The Guardian with the same thing with an article that was based actually in Australia uh, depicting East and Southeast Asian people coming out of a train station. It was talking about uh, COVID, obviously. Um, And then we got a response back from uh, the assistant editor, I think, the assistant reader's editor, just really gaslighting, the worst response we've ever seen. And, of course, you can imagine what he looks like, you know. (laughs) um (laughs) and So, so
1: hang on what did what did he say what was the gist of what he says
2: the gist was basically that this image isn't discriminatory um if it was a load of imagery then maybe you might have a case but here's 10 articles of um instances where we have um not shown ec people um and we try to explain like this is the wider context again it always goes back to the the wider context of the situation it's not just the guardian it's Mm. it's the bbc it's Mm. um other other forms of media that are perpetuating this idea that we are associated or responsible for coronavirus and the the idea that an, an image is way more powerful than um that text and alone like we assimilate imagery so much quicker and so mm. we see the headline of coronavirus and we see an east or southeast asian person and we conflate the two together whether we like it or not it's that subconscious bias that we have that yeah. it came from china you guys are all responsible anyone who is racialized as chinese is responsible for coronavirus and that's yeah. resulted in hate crime it's resulted in hate speech online hate speech on the streets um so we were really really trying to get across the idea
0: um and he just wouldn't listen that's kind of when i've sort of started following you viv i think or maybe i've just started following you before that but i remember this petition i remember sharing it like as soon as you you did it as well and um yeah it was just a really horrific response wasn't it it was just so mm. kind of like oh you know this is this is nothing um you guys um, making something out of nothing, and it's and it's not that mm. at all, you know. You, and it was just, it was just bizarre, wasn't it?
1: I kind of got a horrible personal experience of this back in March, so
0: yeah, quite early on in the very pandemic. early on, right
1: at the start. So I I'd gone into town, um, and I was on a tube, a really packed. Well, would have been a really packed tube carriage, except I suddenly noticed that there was no one sitting next to me or opposite me, and I tweeted it kind of slightly sarcastically mm. uh, the picture and said. Oh, that's a bit weird, no one's standing around me. And so loads of people, loads of people started replying to me saying, well, you know, maybe they just didn't want to sit next to you. And then one guy really delightfully said, well, if I saw a rapist, I wouldn't want to sit next to a rapist. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then, right, it got picked up by Metro mm. newspapers. But I didn't realise because um, I wasn't really going into town much at that point. And a friend of mine tweeted me and said, oh, I saw your lovely face in the paper today. And I said to her, oh, did you? And I was thinking, what was it about? Is it like a random piece about Burmese food or something? Mm. And then I found out that it was a massive picture of my face on like the fifth page of Metro saying that, oh, I I had uh, accused people of racism. But the thing is, as you said, because because it was on a page that was reporting about coronavirus, you've just got a massive headline saying coronavirus and my face. Mm. Yeah. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, and so this was in print, this was online as well. And so I, wow. I um I complained. I made official print to the press complaint submission, I made a complaint to Metro. They all told me to, to, to fuck off basically. They said it wasn't, oh. um, you know, it didn't, same thing. I got gassed very, very badly. Mm. But because of the, I was getting abuse on social media. I was mm. getting funny looks when I went out. So I actually hid in my house for two weeks. Oh, so- <laughs> i so sorry. That fucking sucks. Oh, like- so, so when I saw your petition, I was so mm. happy. Because I was like, <laughs> my God, someone is doing something. Because yeah. it was really happening. It was really obvious. But no one was listening. And so the mm. fact that you had done this meant so much to me personally. <laughs> so. Oh,
2: I'm so sorry you had that experience. Like, yeah. it's so frustrating when you're like, you have to justify mm. why things are racist. Like, you're our existence. We just have to always, always put a case forward. And it's so tiresome. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. And especially because they used your image without consent and then made mm. you the poster child of coronavirus. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so basically, you, you look like patient zero, didn't you? Because it was because it's early on in March as well. Oh yeah, so yeah. Like they were, thought
1: like, I like, was the original please. person to have yeah, coronavirus. To sweat, sweat um, fuck!
0: <laughs> and the worst
1: yeah. thing was, is that well, I said that I said you use my image without permission, and they said public domain because oh, my it was god. it was my profile picture from Twitter.
2: Wow, wow!
1: So. But it's it, oh my god, that is terrible. But It's defamatory, uh-huh. like. I know, because that's the thing, and, and it wasn't just me that complained. Loads of people complained about my yeah, behalf. Yeah, mm. well. So I many people writing. complained about, yeah. and every single one of them were told to go away. So, there you and so, go. and
2: yeah. so, that's it. It's just it's just been left like that because they yeah. just don't see the now, issue. Now, I mean,
1: in a in a kind of a horrible kind of way, but in a good kind of way, because suddenly the papers were full of everything. Everyone yeah. forgot about it, but at mm. the time, it was just so so horrible i can
2: imagine oh my gosh
1: but it's funny you know when you're saying about gaslighting generally i remember at one point there was it almost felt like they were listening and then i can't remember which media publication it was it may have been the guardian Mm. i remember they put up a photo of um white people Mm. but it was white people in the chinese supermarket yes Yes. i remember remember that.
0: i remember that but why where are they shopping they're in the chinese (laughs) (laughs) yeah i remember that why don't you put them in fucking waitrose or something you know why have you done that and it's just like, like oh, it's on. even like more insidious. It <laughs> just felt
1: like they were trolling you. At that it point. did. They just <laughs> felt
2: like they were trolling, trolling yeah, us. Yeah. Like, what would they have to had to search to get that image? Like, just search for a supermarket, like a g- generic supermarket. There's so much stock imagery out there. They're just yeah. such idiots, and it's like get to the point where you're like you're doing this on purpose now.
0: It was quite funny in some ways. You have to laugh really because like I remember that the, my husband's favourite one is the one um, when they're talking about you know when everyone's quite obsessed about going to pubs and when will the pubs would be shut or open. But then in the coronavirus related media, it's always like so it was like a, a Chinese woman or Chinese looking mm. woman dressed in like a uh, German f- like milkmaid's yeah. outfit, like with like two like pints of bits so how how well, why how would you find that image? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know yeah. how often do you see this? And there's another it's thing, so there's random. another article about, um, uh, you know, they're furloughing stuff or, like, you know, for all kind of self-employed people to kind of, like, apply for um, grants and things. And there was a picture mm-hmm. of a Chinese woman yeah, um, as a carpenter. And it's so like, how, how often do you see oh, this? Like, so they yeah. are really doing, they're really, really making a real effort <laughs> to find, like, a you know east asian looking people to kind of like you know illustrate their, their articles oh my god kind of, totally it, it's
1: kind of funny because you kind of think oh you know it's, it's the british way make it slightly subtle it's not like trump <laughs> calling it the chinese virus but mm. it's the same effect <laughs>
2: Same effect. I do you know what? I totally forgot about those uh, those Im- images. I actually r- repressed so
0: much <laughs> oh, yeah. what The Chinese lady in Lederhosen. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> the classic. Do you not see that in your pub? Yeah. <laughs> On a day-to-day basis. <laughs> so, so essentially, yeah.
1: I was going to say talk to us a bit more about um how yeah. it got into parliament um and your work yeah parliament.
2: okay yeah yeah of course so uh, so after the the, the gaslighting responses I got I then was like I've had enough of this so I just remember I think I was meant to be working but I was just on change.org I've never set up a petition in my life I've never really been that political before or doing something in terms of activism but I was just like I need to get this out something needs to stop like we need to change this and people need to be aware of it and then I just remember rallying around my family and friends to, to sign it so I could get five signatures so it would be recognized on the change.org website. Um, and after I think it was like 3,000 signatures, which at that point I was just like, oh my gosh, 3,000 people are behind this. That's incredible. People all over the world as well. Um, it was raised uh, through Daniel York Lowe, an incredible actor, activist, writer. Um, Uh, man he he shared it with sarah owen he he knows sarah owen um i think personally they've worked together before she's a british um east asian mp based in luton and so she was like i really want to raise this in parliament and then she did she did and without her support we wouldn't have got it into parliament so quickly like I I was researching after I started the petition how do you actually get a petition into parliament and you have to firstly do it on the gov.uk website which I didn't do I did it on change.org mm. secondly you need to have 100,000 signatures which we still don't have <laughs> yeah you need 100,000 signatures just to be heard and to, to have someone who understands The experience of someone who is um, EC, uh, which is East and Southeast Asian, is just so, it was so important. And that's why representation really matters and Mm. and having someone like Sarah on our side. Um, And so, yeah, so she raised it in Parliament. It then resulted in us meeting with um the DCMS, the digital culture, media and sport department to raise this issue and have a private meeting with them over Zoom to talk about these issues with people from the Cabinet Office, with people from the online harms team. We presented to them there was a group formed online with five other East and Southeast Asian women where we were just like, this is shit. And we were all complaining about it separately and like crying to each other. The the kind of like the grassroots movement that formed, it happened so organically. We were talking about like, what can we actually do? So we're not going to change the media overnight. This is embedded and entrenched within their subconscious biases and in their systems like this isn't something that we're going to be able to eradicate and coronavirus is going to be here for a while it's still going to continue and and we were feeling so burnt out we all felt that kind of the stress of of being the people uh, to to talk about it and to and to try to make some change and so we were like well we want to actually see some good shit that east and southeast asian people are doing like we don't want to just talk about this because we're so much more than just like stuff that happens to us the racism like we there's people there's incredible creators in the world there's academics there's people doing and achieving incredible things that no one knows about and so we were like we're gonna take this into our own hands and create our own platform a network where we can actually spotlight um east and southeast asian people and make it a really really positive place and then that's where bc was born um britain's east and southeast asian network Uh, Because we just wanted a really, really happy place for people to come to where we're not kind of shown the same things and and represented in, in negative ways in the media. Yeah, since then... We've been working with Sarah Owen very closely. Uh, we just had a meeting with the Cabinet Office this week to discuss how we can actually work with them as an organisation to reach more EC communities. Uh, so we're pitching to them actually at the moment and we're just continuing the work behind the scenes. It's just turned into this incredible thing, which I, I think when when really, really shit stuff happens to marginalised communities, there's there's always kind of something that comes out of it. There's something that is born in reaction to that and I think that's that's what's happened very much so so it's been
1: a journey it's been a journey it's been amazing i mean I just thinking about it. even the name bc is just so good it's just so, <laughs> so good, good. <laughs> you
0: know it's kind
1: of you know it's like representation matters encapsulated in just those letters so yeah and you know what like you were saying and i know that when you know your your social media accounts popped up when i saw that you know on instagram and on twitter i remember thinking this is so cool and oh. you know I'm I'm an old person so but it just made me think <laughs> finally there's something that I feel like it, it is something a community like you said that mm. kind of because obviously I'm, I say obviously but I, I I've been aware of kind of like groups in um America so there's lots of Asian American yeah. activist groups but I personally I, I don't think I mean this might be just me being a bit kind of dim but I'm not sure I'd seen anything like this before in this country yeah. um so and it's really nice because like I've been seeing kind of lots of, I don't spin-off isn't quite the right word, but there's kind of complementary and supportive accounts that are now appearing, um, mm-hmm. kind of focusing on specific aspects, like a well-being, um, East and Southeast Asian well-being account. And it's just, as you say, it's like it's being yeah. seen. It's feeling like there are people out there who are like you, who mm-hmm. understand your experiences. Um, yeah. But as you say, it, you know, it's not just doom and gloom it's about creativity it's about happiness it's about like you know this is yeah, the it's all
0: about all about the ec joy as well isn't it yeah because so, i think totally. quite a lot of the time i think it, it's important to include the joyous aspects because mm. you know while the activism stuff's obviously really important you need the other other, other parts as well otherwise yeah. people do switch off don't they because you kind yeah. of get get overload in a way mm. so it's, it's kind of like you, you need um be seen to be showing All all, you know, all parts of our experience—not just the trauma, you know. So, um, and I think that's been really important. Um, Oh
2: yeah, definitely, and that's why I love following both of your accounts. Just like seeing, like, (laughs) really good home cooked food. Like, it's just—it makes you so happy. And that's what—that's what we need more of. We need safe spaces to be able to 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 spread that and show that. And it's amazing that this came out of a global pandemic, some a virus that has Mm. kind of brought people together. But there, there were like even though like i agree there's definitely not been um of our generation and activists kind of a movement of this type there's been so many you know there's been community centers that have been doing this for years mm-hmm. there's been people like in, in outreach communities who are on the ground doing mm-hmm. the work who have been doing it for so long and we've learned a lot from these people as well we've had private chats with people from community centers mm-hmm. from charities uh, like the F- filipino charity kangilan which has been around for like over 20 years mm-hmm. um, and we've learned a lot from them as well um but i think definitely in terms of like a almost a digital first movement it's it's um it's been really incredible to, to play a part in that
0: i think that's what's interesting for me as a slightly older person i think i'm 10 years older than you so i i'm I don't identify as a millennial whereas i know you do identify as, as a millennial and um it's just you know you're so sort of tech savvy and you're so quick to respond you know like you see something that pisses you off on like the wednesday by thursday you know you've got a petition out you know and, yeah. and you're taking it down you know and that's kind of why I follow your account and I follow BC because like I just see all this like really amazing stuff happening and I don't know I mean I think uh, part of the whole thing about growing up Asian in 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 Britain and and kind of those stereotypes of like you know a Chinese person or Vietnamese person whatever being um you know meek and and quiet you know and obviously that's not true and and but now that, that you've got this digital platform i can see sort of like you know be being a group of six women you're sort of shouting about about this stuff and i think that's you know, very empowering and i kind of don't know look at my kids and i think you know it's it's really good because they'll you know have these things and people like you to look up to you know so, so, you can, so actually, know, it's just I think it's really powerful it's just been you know it's just kind of been quite invigorating so really nice. so
1: See, 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 actually, that's actually made me think about something because obviously BC is you and five other women, and it just occurred to me that you are all women. There aren't any men. Have, yeah. have any men so that they want to join in? Any because man folk? Yeah,
2: <laughs> isn't that so interesting? And it's something that any man folk want to join. That's the thing. We has, we have spoken about very very this as well.
1: women-led it does seem to be like all these initiatives yeah
2: I know know. women are carrying the world on our shoulders (laughs) but I I genuinely think there is something to do with like how women are more empathetic as people and and do do care about shit and I'm not saying men don't I know there's so many great men in my life who who do but in terms of that it isn't a coincidence i don't think it's a coincidence that it's um it's women leading mm. leading this and leading these organizations um yeah like i i I've, I've reached out to the manchester community center when i was younger i actually volunteered there and now we're like speaking with them again mm. and again it's women led it's just it's just incredible um
1: well, it's just kind of because that it kind of links into what um an, a question we were going to ask you a bit later, but I think we can bring it up now, which is mm. is the fact that you know there is the joy and the happiness of sharing, you know, people's you know, successes. Um, but when you're doing something like you're you're calling out, you know, like the Domino's ad or something else, it's it requires a lot of emotional labour, mm. and and I feel that women are just you know it's shit, but I think women are more used to that. I think that's, women. That's it. It's the emotional labour is, is often considered that that is the woman's burden, right?
2: Oh, And totally. I wonder
1: if that's why that, that's the, the thing.
2: Uh, yeah, that, I think that is a really good point. You know, there's, I've met many men in my life who have treated me like a therapist before. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and, oh, and I'm sure
2: so many women relate to that. <laughs> mm. Like men just offload like, oh, this is happening to me. And then they don't reciprocate that and women just take it on or mm. are not able to process that you know, in a, in a very healthy way most of the time. Mm. Um, and that's very generally speaking, but I do tend to find that is the case. And yeah, with the with the Domino's ads, um, I, do you know, it's so interesting because I got a migraine and a cold sore from talking about that, which- oh, And the stress of it, yeah. yeah. It, was, it was really
0: stressful, really triggering, wasn't it? Yeah. So. But
2: it, it sounds so silly, but then actually when you think about what's happened in the past year, it's not because yeah. <laughs> it's compounded and it was just like, fucking hell, we don't need this as well. You know, just for people who
1: are unaware, I'm just going to explain what the Domino's ad was. It was just like a a throwaway segment. It was a a group of women saying, oh, what should we get for takeaway tonight? And then one of the people in the ad just goes, oh, anything but Chinese. And Mm. they all kind of groan and sigh together. And it's just such an unnecessary, especially with the environment we're in at the moment. I think in 2020, there was a 300 percent rise in reported hate crime against uh, East Asians. And so it's just adding to that hostile environment right and it was
0: it was unnecessary the way they wrote that line so they could have said oh we had chinese the other day or yeah you know, or, or not yeah, chinese know. again you know? again yeah, yeah. So one word would have made a yeah, difference exactly
1: yeah if you if you find viv on instagram or on tiktok she made this amazing very very funny <laughs> video basically just pointing out exactly what was wrong with it and and i was thinking about how you know if, if me on twitter i might have like complained about it but the way Viv did it It was just so it was just immediately obvious what was wrong with the earth and it was also very funny and that's one of the things that I find really really amazing about the I guess the new generation of activists like Viv is that you're able to get your points across in a way that's the kind of because it's so quick and it's so you know as you were saying the ad came out and you addressed it two days later but you do it in a way that galvanizes people you know it makes people think oh shit there's something happening we should do something about it and so I remember seeing that there was like a whip up of support on Twitter on Instagram of people saying no and 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 then the the thing that came out of it was was it the Friday night Chinese night yeah, from British-born Chinese. So again, the, the, like a very positive outcome came mm. from that, which is amazing. The fact that people then said, right, I'm going to get Chinese takeaway and I'm going to use mm. a hashtag. Hashtag uh, yeah. anything, about dominoes,
2: anything
0: but dominoes. Anything but dominoes.
2: Anything but dominoes. Even though it's such a shame because I, I did like dominoes and now I'm just like, I cannot.
1: And, you know... As you were saying, I just I just like this what seems to be like this amazing repeated theme, which is you know something shit happens and mm. you know something positive comes out of it. Yeah, <laughs> is- yeah. So you kind of, you're
0: quick to react and then like trying to you know and then but then also trying to protect yourself a little bit, but also yeah, trying to find yeah. some joyous out of out of that experience as well. So
2: the dominoes ad, it was just yeah, really, really, really triggering and upsetting um and we actually got responses back from Domino's. like they shared some kind of shitty response on social media about how they didn't mean to it was the insight that you know we if you want to um it was the insight that like oh um we had chinese last night that's what we meant and like yes we get it i know (laughs) yeah
0: Yeah, you could have just said
2: that yeah yeah i understand what you mean
0: but you can't. That's just, not how it came across.
2: Yeah, it's not how it came across, and yeah. it's the way she said it as well. It was the tone in which she said it too.
0: It was also coupled with it's all about delivery service, wasn't it? And how you could like track Domino's and that you could trust their delivery service. And there's a, there's another bit in the advert where there's one girl. She goes out and she kind of gets covered in concrete. So it's mm. this whole, it, so it is playing on the sense that there's coronavirus out there. There's, you don't know what kind of dangers are out there, mm. and so coupled with the anything but Chinese. So it's kind of like coronavirus. Mm. It's dangerous world. And the Chinese are dangerous, and so it kind of all of so those not of messages. Yeah. yeah, so all those messages yeah. were happening, and we yeah. got some like crappy response from the ASA as well. Mm-hmm. And then they were just being completely disingenuous, weren't they? They are saying, "Oh, you know, well, some some people might find it offensive." Most people won't, so therefore it's not offensive, Jim. You know oh, yeah,
1: it's nice to know who your audience is, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. So
0: this is just for white people then or
2: non E C people.
0: Cool. I, I don't know how, what percentage of like, you know, Chinese and East um Southeast Asian people make up the population of the UK, was it like one percent or something? I don't know. Mm-hmm.
1: Not enough to matter. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. we're not significant enough to matter. So oh, no. therefore your complaint no, is, not. is not
0: valid.
2: Yeah. I've had people actually commenting on the reels and I've I've been deleting the comment but from that from that TikTok thing that I created, being like yeah. one guy recently I shared it yesterday saying, My wife is British born, Cantonese Chinese and we've got two oh, kids. Yes. And uh, I don't, we don't find this racist. You're just race baiting now. And I'm like, I feel sorry for your wife. You're weaponizing mm. your wife. Oh my God. you think it's okay to say, I, I don't find it racist because I've got a Chinese wife. Mm. What is wrong with you? I feel bad for your wife. Oh family. God, that's just
1: a spin on
0: the, I've got black friends, right? Oh it's
2: yeah, just- <laughs>
0: exactly. I've yeah.
2: got black friends,
0: I'm not racist. I think, I think also in that post, he said that, I think he said that um, he talks to his wife three times a week that she's too sensitive or something.
1: Oh <gasps> So actually, he's not even listening to her.
0: No. So though, so it was kind of like so. Not only was he like you know gaslighting you, he obviously mm. does it to his poor poor wife. Yeah, and I, I can imagine there's probably a lot
2: of East or Southeast Asian women who are married to men like that. Mm. And and I, I I do wonder like do they have they noticed like recently in the past year have they noticed how like unwoke their husbands or or partners are? And then you're yeah. like, shit, I've got kids with this person
0: now. Yeah. <laughs> <That'd be> awful, <laughs> Great. Then. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I put my husband to the test quite quite often. I do. do I don't know. Don't set him up, but like, you know, but we have <laughs> I kind of just go, oh, do you want to? So I showed him the Domino's ad. And I was what like, did have he you think? he immediately got it and he went, why have they said that? Do you know. So he got it yeah. straight away and I was like, oh, thank God, I've married the right guy. Do you know if he hadn't noticed, I would have, I would have questioned my life choices. You know, so.
1: But she wasn't setting him up at all. <laughs> <laughs> but he passed the test, it's okay.
0: I,
2: I do that now with dating now, I, especially when I date a white man. I ask yeah. them,
1: <laughs> I grill
2: them. Like some of them I said before they felt interrogated and I'm like, well, that's what it's going to be like dating me.
0: <laughs> You're going oh, to have so to get it. You kind of, don't want to waste your time so you just get it all out don't you, you exactly just can kind of get, all the, get all the difficult questions out of the way you know exactly. and then and then, mm-hmm. then you can move on so you're you're a second generation Hong Konger and you grew up in Warrington which is between Manchester and Liverpool in case you're a southerners, <laughs> southerners don't know where it is I know <laughs> where it is there's an uh, IKEA, isn't there? Though? There, there there's is Warrington. an IKEA in Warrington. I the Ikea. <laughs> That's why I know. You're <laughs> really making it sound is. like there's a brilliant. significant landmark.
2: <laughs> it is. It's l- literally the only significant thing about Warrington is the yeah, IKEA.
0: Cause, yeah, Because my, my sister went to Sheffield and I, we went to the IKEA to pick up some stuff and stuff like that. So are you both
2: are you both from London uh, down south? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm from Croydon. Yeah, Croydon. That, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, So it was just yeah.
0: technically it's a borough, London borough of Croydon. Kate Moss mm. is from there. Oh, astrology. lovely!
1: She is famous. So. Nice. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> nice.
2: Well, we've got coca Tona, so <laughs>
0: <Really>? <laughs>
2: yeah. I served her in my cousin's chippy. <laughs> oh, <that's> <laughs>
0: <been>. <laughs> so you're a Warringtonian, yeah, and you're a takeaway kid. I am. How, what was it like growing up in a takeaway, and um, hmm. sort of do you look back on that time fondly?
2: When we were younger like the takeaway was like mum and dad's work and Mm. we were at home we never actually lived in the takeaway it was always within our proximity though it was something that was with my white friends very novel I think having a takeaway and then like bringing my friends back and then them being able to eat their like sweet and sour chicken and and seaweed and which is actually cabbage and they'd
1: be Mm. like oh it's not seaweed (laughs) Um, and some people uh, still don't know that you know yeah I know.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's crazy in that. I <laughs> know <laughs> when people started deep frying kale, and I was like, "We've been doing that for years." Like, done, you know, yeah. like what's well, this like new hipster thing?
2: And then my friends would ask me like, "Oh, Viv, do you know a sweet and sour chicken recipe?" And I'm like, "No, I don't," because I don't cook it. Like my my dad does, and it's like really complicated. There's like so many things that goes into a takeaway sweet and sour chicken recipe. Mm. So yeah, it was it was quite novel, I think, for a lot of my friends. But in terms of like growing up, like family, mum and mum and dad like came over from Hong Kong. Dad was. Was a workaholic, you know. He he came from like a family of nine. His dad was a gambling addict, just a crap dad to them. um And so, dad left school at the age of when he was in year eight, so he would have been like twelve, I think. Mm. Didn't didn't leave with any qualifications, and he all he knew how to do was work, work, work. So his first job was in the back of a restaurant killing chickens. And he was telling me a story wow. one time about yeah, I know, like having to like behead a chicken with a what's it called a meat cleaver. Yeah, and the yeah. first time. He did it he was so scared he didn't cut it clean
0: oh no and then he just
2: like nip the chicken's neck and the chicken like spurted that blood and was flying around <laughs> flopping around the room everywhere just like spurting blood all over the walls oh, no. and like so he's always been a worker then he worked in a bakery for a bit and that's where i i love baking so i used to bake with him like he used to teach us how to make egg tarts and chinese cake oh, he used wow. to bake our own birthday cakes but yeah so i've got a lot of um, affinity towards baking from my dad And then he just work, 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 work. And then eventually started the takeaway business where we'd have Tuesdays off, which was quite typical because it was the quietest days. Him and my mum had like chats about, do they, he wanted to open seven days a week. And she was like, no, you need to see your family. (laughs) You you need to see your family at least once a week. But he he just, I think he had that mind of being a survivor. Um, And like, even when it came to like us having dinner, we'd like scoop rice out and put it onto each other's, into into our bowls. And then he'd be like, no no let's put some rice back that's too much rice because it was always about like preservation and like not wasting anything because he was so mm. used to that lifestyle it always stayed with him you know we, we had a very privileged lifestyle like my my mum like she'd be flaunting her designer handbags and my dad would be wearing like secondhand clothes that he got from my cousin <laughs> the same <laughs> like shirt that he had for years and did, years and years. Did you
1: and your mum do that thing that I, I sometimes do with my family where you kind of and I think this is quite an Asian thing to do generally where you kind of pretend how much something Cost because you don't want to upset the person that's seeing it. So it's like but this whole thing. It costs ten pounds. Like... She would hide it. She would hide. Well, she would hide her designer stuff. She
2: yeah. She would like hide it in the back of the cupboard uh. and stuff, and not tell him. Oh, dear. oh They had really different
0: views on money. Very different yo. views. Yeah. I can tell. <laughs> My mum would have a few, like, she, she when she went to America to visit her family in California, she came back with a Louis Vuitton bag, and that was the only yeah. designer bit of gear she had. And yeah. She was quite proud of it, but I think we didn't know that it was, like, designer. So we said, what's this LV? It looks really ugly. Why is it brown? You know? <laughs> and so we went and bought some some shitty handbag from Marks and Spencer to take in. mum, use this instead. And she just kind of went with it. You know? We had no, oh, no idea. So it's mm-hmm. only looking back now. I'm like... my god like she had a genuine handbag (laughs) and we didn't we just shat all over it (laughs) so were you were you aware of msg racism growing up like in the takeaway and everything. Because obviously I think mean, imagine some of your customers would have been quite racist. Oh, yeah, you know, so but whether you're aware of the dialogue about MSG and its kind of linked in with like dirty food and like takeaway food and rest of it like that.
2: It's actually quite interesting because I think through you both talking about MSG, it's the first time that I've actually thought about like how it's linked to being racist.
0: Oh, okay,
2: and I'd never considered it before. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, I, but I remember people actually like would request, like customers would say, "Oh, no MSG, and not in the dishes and stuff like that." And mm-hmm. I just thought, "Oh, fair enough. You know, so it's it's not good for you." Look out! Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know, and it was only recently from like seeing you both post about it and sharing resources. I was like, "Shit, I've actually." Been perpetuating that idea myself. Like you see, even like takeaways putting like no MSG and like mm. being quite mm. proud about that, and, mm. and even um, eastern and Southeast Asian takeaways, and it's very much catering to non-EC or, or mm. white audiences. And it's something that I completely didn't know about. And so, yes, there probably was a lot of instances where we would have <laughs> MSG racism. I love, that. I love <laughs> that as a uh, coin that term. And played along with it perpetuated it myself for years and years and years
1: i mean that's the thing though it's like a vicious circle i think because i think Mm. it was just such accepted wisdom that it was bad for you Mm. without anyone really unpicking where that had come from is the problem so there is a place called bang bang oriental which is kind of like the 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 place that replaced oriental city in collindale here in london there's every single type of east and southeast asian cuisine that you can imagine side by side jostling for attention so kind of like the idea of like um like a singaporean food court and i was going around thinking oh that looks amazing that looks amazing that's amazing and then i saw one which had this massive sign that said no msg and i went no yeah not going to
0: you (laughs) not going to be bland (laughs) yeah we've internalized kind of internalizes racism so you know we're not going to you but i think it's, it's tricky isn't it because You know, when you're reliant on customers, even with their prejudices, you're reliant on them and their money. You can't really turn Mm. them away. So even if they have these perceptions, it's very difficult, isn't it? I've got no issue with people not using it. If you don't
1: want to use it, don't use it. I think it's where people proudly proclaim that they don't have it. That's where I start feeling uncomfortable. Yeah, and that's become Mm. sort
0: of systemic prejudice, I think, that's sort of continually perpetuated Mm. by food media.
2: Yeah, totally. I'm sure you you both have seen that quite a lot in in the food space. Is is it mainly by kind of uh, non-EC chefs and cooks that would say, this has no MSG, it's
0: good for you? It it, it was, um, but then there's also... You know repats, so people who've gone back to where their parents are from, and they've opened up restaurants, and they're kind of bringing this prejudice with them, saying, Mm. "Oh, actually, we're elevated food because we don't use MSG in in our food."
1: Mm. It's like we've we've got this Western knowledge now, and we know better than the locals. And yeah, I see that happening in so many Asian countries now, and it drives me nuts Mm. because basically they've absorbed this myth, and now are going back to teach the natives, and. Yeah, I just find that very frustrating, so. Oh, yeah, of course. Did you see the
2: story of the New York restaurant owned by a white woman and she was like, we're making Chinese food healthy and, like, completely erased Chinese heritage completely.
0: What was she called? What was it called? It was, like, Lucky Lee or something.
2: Yeah, yeah, she basically, like, took the name, like, Lee to make it sound like it was owned by someone who could have been Chinese, but actually she had no
0: connections whatsoever and just wanted to appropriate it and then she was trying to do sort of clean clean eating or something yes. Like, like, yes. You know, like chinese food was no. dirty and greasy yeah. and full of msg and now i'm doing clean versions of it and it was yeah. kind of on the back of the clean eating sort of mm. um, like wellness movement yeah or, yeah Just closed down now
2: yeah <laughs> yeah didn't last very long
0: yeah no flavor <laughs> yeah no msg that's the issue <laughs>
1: If we can kind of move on to talk about in terms of like Chinese food being thought of as dirty, if we can talk a little bit about Chef Philly and kind of your response to that. For people that aren't aware, she was a contestant on, is it MasterChef The Professionals? Her whole thing was dirty Asian food. I think that was her slogan. To be fair, she has apologised since, but the whole idea was just kind of putting that concept into people's brains that Asian food was automatically dirty. And so she Mm. was the person that was refining it pretty
2: dirty food was her slogan like the hashtag that she would use and then like someone I think it was Amy actually from BC and asked her what do you mean by this and she said I want to take Asian food and like make it pretty so you're saying our food isn't you're saying our food doesn't look pretty it's just dirty on its own and I think it was more so how she reacted back the idea that Asian food is dirty is extremely dangerous and violent Mm. but actually the response that she did subsequently was even more violent she Mm. was censoring people who were educating her for free blocking people people were giving her free consultation like she would ask like i would love to go on a call with you for free not compensating people's time and knowledge and emotional labor into talking about it Mm. It there was just so many issues with her response and it's yeah. just taken her a journey, and like you do think as well, because she's a person of color. I think she's a South Asian uh, descent. Yeah. You do almost like I don't know about you, but I, you make allowances. I think for people of color, you would think you, you you surely would have had some understanding as to what it's like for people to appropriate your food and your culture, mm. and yet she reacted like a like how a, someone who
1: has white privilege would mm. react. I, I remember seeing the Daily Mail campaigning for her, and you had loads of people that were like coming out saying, "What are you guys complaining about? She's brown too, you know." Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it doesn't cancel each other
1: out. You yeah. Know?
2: And hopefully, she's she's changed her branding and how she's positioning herself. And her apology was weak, but there's always just going to be. It just speaks to the wider system again, doesn't it? Mm. And the lack of education around that, and the fact that she's she's travelled you know, for a few years in Asia doesn't make you an an expert in Asian food because she was branding herself as an
1: expert in Asian food. Mm. The whole of Asia. All of it. Mimi,
2: would you ever say with your cookbook out? would you ever say you're an an expert in Asian food, full stop?
1: I'm not even an expert in Burmese food. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) We've got 135 ethnic groups. I'd be a dickhead if I tried to say I was a Burmese authority. Yeah.
0: (laughs) But like I think, like the way that Chef Philly's response was of blocking and deleting negative comments and just platforming ones that agreed with her, that was very similar to Cochrane Wan's response, wasn't it? Earlier mm. on in the year, when used the word chink. but it was blocking Chinese people who were found use of the word problematic, and yeah. and people keep doing this, don't they? Like if you're if you're called out because you've been crap, I mean, I suppose your na- your natural response is to be defensive, but people have to learn to be better and to. You know, listen to to people trying to educate.
1: It just proves that fragility is. It's not just the reserve of white people. Everyone's fragile. <laughs> <Sorry>. Yeah, <laughs>
2: totally. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, he, him being mixed Chinese ethnicity, people who are non-Chinese would be like, "Well, he said it, so it's fine."
1: What was the context? How was he using it? Yeah.
2: He was promoting an Instagram live, basically yeah. saying he's gonna he's going to cook chili beef or something, and he's going to chink it up. Oh, and wow. that's why. <laughs> it's so terrible. And then he just didn't see an issue with it. And he released a statement saying, like, I'm sorry if people were offended. I've always used this this word. And me being a Chinese man, blah, 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 basically giving people a pass to be like, I'm Chinese and I use it. Oh, so that's totally OK. It's
1: not,
0: it's not OK. Is it? Well, it's, it's like, time.
1: you know, A.A. Gill, who was meant to be the greatest restaurant critic ever, he would regularly in his columns go on about going for a chinky. Oh! <gasps> just do a search for that term on social media loads of people just use it and just really mm. oh yeah and they think oh yeah, you know, i'm just talking about chinese food that's so, the thing <laughs> i'm
2: just talking about chinese food. it's nothing to do with you i'm not racist yeah but,
0: but like again you wouldn't call a corner shop you know was well, you they know, do though you say so they do, it. They oh, do. Okay. but they know it's wrong but they know it's wrong do they? <laughs> but if they say it, Yeah. Do know, they? if they use the P words, they'll say it because they're horrible people. Mm. But I don't, I, I think they know it's wrong whereas if they're using the word chinky or chink like just openly, they don't know that it's wrong. Mm. So, you know, the same way that people use the N words but they do know it's wrong. Oh yeah, they totally do
2: and that's the thing yeah. It's you know, obviously we can't conflate the idea that the word chinky is the same, has the same mm. gravitas no. and, and historical, Not you know. But it's so normalised for non-Chinese or Eastern South Asian people to say that word. Mm. and be like yeah i just mean the food they don't understand like that it still has adverse effects Mm. like i'm sure like you you guys were called it in school i got called it recently and i hadn't heard it in years i I hadn't heard it since school pretty much and then like the first day i moved into the sixth centre i was waiting for my delivery downstairs Mm. and a man just like drove past in the car and then just shouted that word at me and drove off
0: Jesus. Yeah, and the, but I was
2: so focused on the food at the time, I completely suppressed it. Yeah, <laughs> I was just like, oh, okay, that happened, but where's my food? And then it was only like the day after. I was like, fuck, yeah, oh, I've not heard that for so a while. Sorry. Yeah, it's just um, yeah,
0: just driving by as well in your van or whatever, and just like, yeah. just trying to ruin your yeah. day, isn't it? So you know, racism drive by. And I think that's the thing, isn't it? With like you know, that's why your petition was so important because that's the kind of the vibe, the anti-Chinese vibe that's out there at the moment, isn't it? So you know. And anyone who looks Chinese, uh, you know, link to that. So your podcast is called But Where Are You From? Which um, in itself started... is like a clarion call. But... Yeah, I would love that. Um, yeah. So you, you started at the beginning of, of lockdown one. So what were your reasons of uh, for starting the podcast? <laughs> I was so bored. <laughs> that was <laughs> one of the reasons. I was like, what can I do
2: with my time? I think it was really like more so a self-explorative thing. My, my Chinese friends will say to me, I'm so whitewashed. And about, about you? Actually, looking back, that was so, was so horrible. Because it's like, what do I need then to enable to be more Chinese? Yeah, like, that's that is, a that bizarre is, thing to say. It is a bizarre thing. It's very toxic. <laughs> you can't be the gatekeepers of being Chinese. Mm. Like, I'm Chinese, even if I don't, I don't know, cook as well as you or speak the language mm. as well as you. I'm still Chinese, mm. 100%. So I think it was more so like when I was just reading a lot about identity and stuff like that and racism, I was like, do you know what? I don't know that much about being Chinese, actually. I've never really talked about it with anyone, even my family. And, and so I just decided, like, it was like 1 a.m. and uh, middle of lockdown, nothing else was going on. I just, like, plugged my headphones in and just started just rambling and just talking about my family and then kind of just put it out there thinking, no one's going to listen, but it's going to be a nice little project to do and, and just carried on, carried it on for like 34 weeks continuously. And it's really, actually, looking back, I cringe so much at the episodes because I probably said a lot of like weird, <laughs> problematic things, but actually, I I think it's been interesting seeing the growth in terms of like being able to find my voice and i think it's all compounded together like me starting the podcast and being able to speak up about things like racism and everything else and then working with the five other women at be seen. it's all kind of like clicked together almost that i've almost like found my purpose in a way and mm. i think that's been very empowering it really helps me explore my, my voice it's like therapy i just speak to people and they just listen like <laughs> it's so it's so narcissistic it's very you had, self-serving like,
0: 17, 17, listens or something didn't you like when you last checked your stats that's incredible yeah i hadn't so noticed it's just a, you know you've just sort of started in march and it's grown it's massive
2: i think podcasting is such a nice community because people are there mm. usually to listen
0: i like your early episodes as well though oh thank it's you you've sort of just done a half hour talk about asian flush i have really bad asian flush do you so do um, you drink then no, because no. what's the point? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like, you know, one sip and then gone. I've got I've got drunk on, like, gin pickle before I've made up work. I've had, like, a <laughs> teaspoon. And then, like, suddenly, two hours later, I'm, like, cussing my line manager. And I'm, like, you know, red in the face and puffy. So, no, I don't drink. But, like, it was it was, it was good to hear. So, you know, and I think it's, it's really interesting that you put yourself out there and you just sort of just talk about your life and, you know, all those little... Aspects of yourself that, that make you who you are, you know, and it's just really nice to hear, really. Oh,
2: thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. The things about doing a podcast is like you don't know who's listening. And so, the more I think the more you are yourself, the more that you get back from it as well. So, I think I try to be myself as much, like probably too much, but <laughs> <laughs> no, oversharing and things. I, like I that overshare always. my mom. People
1: love that though. <laughs>
2: I started talking about sex recently and my mum still listens to the podcast and she was like, Lam Blam she calls me Lam Blam, my Chinese name, you can't talk about sex on the podcast. I'm like, why not? (laughs) Why not?
1: She worried that other relatives might hear. (laughs) Maybe, I don't know. But I'm like, we
2: need to talk about this. We need to normalize it. No one talks. I've not listened to any East and Southeast Asian podcast talking about sex.
0: But what does she think? I mean, obviously she knows that, you know, you've you've been in relationships, you've lived with partners (laughs) and things. So, you know, what, what are people supposed to think? You're nearly thirty, so you're nearly thirty. She
2: <laughs> said, "Lam, lam. You're a girl. You can't talk about these things. Oh, it's going to ruin your chances." Wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but um, I'm going to still carry on.
0: <laughs> so so your, co- your so your company like be influenced marketing. Like, yes. W- Explain. I'm sorry, what, what, what is <laughs> it? What do you do? <laughs> what the heck do you do, Viv? I know it's still influencing because it's in the title. How,
2: how does it work? We're a marketing agency. We're like any marketing agency where we work with clients to execute marketing campaigns, and the only difference is we do this specifically with working with influencers. So influencers, like the overarching term, it can, like you two are both influencers in your own right don't in the sense ever that say you that. both. I think me
0: more than me. I mean, I've got like 500 no? on Instagram, it, so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You've
2: definitely influenced me. Um, oh, okay, and that, that's the thing. I think people when they think of the term influencer you automatically go to like Love Island people Mm -hmm. and then like everyone's tied with the same brush when actually a lot of it is uh, to do with community Uh, there's content creators who the MSG pod is a form of influencing there's so many different avenues and so many different meanings of the word influence and so we essentially work with creators or talent as I usually call them to market a product or service with the brand that we work with so we work with the likes of Vistaprint one of our clients TikTok direct from China we work with on a project oh, wow. we worked with Emily Sunday on a project that was called oh, promoting her mm, new single nice. on TikTok so we've worked with a range of clients and then we also have a smaller talent management side of the business where we work with two East Asian creators one of them Shulin who does a lot of air fry recipes YouTube um creator. YouTuber
0: oh that mm. is that their shoe yeah, day Oh no, I know who she is. Yeah, yeah. No, I know who Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: we represent her, and then we also represent Tori Choi, who's a climate activist, and she talks a lot about like intersectionalities of of climate activism. And so we represent them. So essentially, my, my day job is a lot of pitching to clients, finding new business, uh, managing the team to execute the work, as well as uh, doing talks sometimes now, and yeah, finding new business and w- working with clients basically.
1: So th- would you say that your what you do is more project-based than specifically client-based so you could work with anybody on a specific campaign basically is it that kind
2: yeah of? we work with different clients on different campaigns so our clients they pay us we then find the influencers on their behalf and then right. we pay the influencers essentially a budget
1: distributed from the client is it, is it a bit like matchmaking then because yeah. i guess you've got a company and then you have to think of someone who would best represent the, the you know exactly that company. exactly oh. it is
2: like matchmaking essentially so it's like a, a dating agency for influencers with
0: clients that's really cool actually that's actually really cool <laughs>
2: That's a good way of framing so, it
0: so what, what advice would you give to someone who wants to become an air fryer influencer because <laughs> I, I know there are a few out there, and I, I want to become an air fryer influencer. Hash, t- hashtag not, air influencer Is this you telling influencer. me that you're quitting the podcast?
1: <laughs> no, no, no. I
0: don't, I don't, I don't like the air because no, no, because somebody, because um, Calvin Tan, he, he won, he won the uh, uh, rice cooker from the other episode a few while ago. He asked on his Instagram, "Is it worth buying an air fryer?" And I kind of, I actually said, no, not, not really, because not <laughs> if you've got an oven and you've got a fr- deep fat fryer, you're not scared of fat. There's no reason for you to have it really. Mm. So I don't think I'm passionate enough about. About the the actual thing itself, yeah. You know? But like, yeah. but I know some other people who want to like be air fryer influencers. What? what be... How do you go about doing
2: it? God knows. I'd love to be one. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I think you
0: just have to post a lot of content to do with yeah. air fryers. So mm. you are kind of an air fryer influencer. Cause you post nearly every day. with the air fryer, don't you? <laughs> no, it's because it's all I cook with.
2: <laughs> That's why uh, it's just so easy. It's just like I think for me, it's like the time thing and like the texture of it as well. When you put things in, it, it turns out crispy just Mm -hmm. brilliant. I just revolutionary. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So with BC, we are hosting with Crazy Brit Asian, which is another podcast, and Kim from Nano Sounds, who's a Twitch streamer influencer. We thought it would be really nice to host a Lunar New Year event, which is happening on the 13th of February, Mm -hmm. 2 till 5pm on uh, Kim Nano Sounds Twitch stream. In which you two will be guests on as well, part of the segment, to talk all things food and everything else on the podcast. And it's essentially going to be us just celebrating Lunar New Year. I'm having a nice time. It's gonna be really relaxed. There's gonna be some prizes,
1: some games. We're gonna keep it really chill. And that's that sounds it. Really nice. that sounds really yeah. nice. The thing about me, I have that natural. Oh, if it was in person, we could have a potluck and we could feed you <gasps> all. Oh
0: my, oh my god, what would you cook us? What would you cook us? Oh
1: no, Chelsea puffs. That would be mm. what I'd bring. <laughs> bring
0: yes. <up> the savouries. <laughs> I think the traditional yeah. thing is like a boiled chicken.
1: <laughs> you know, and I don't think that's that
0: interesting so it'd be like a poached chicken everyone does poached chicken and For
1: then there's, year, all, you know, yeah. there's all a
0: sort of different candied sort of like lotus seeds and different oh. candied fruit yeah. and then there's like and then I was looking up other vi- like traditional Vietnamese stuff and there's like there's something called Meng Jun which is a sticky rice parcel baked like kind of steamed in mm. banana leaf and in the middle it's got like uh, belly pork and mung bean
2: Oh, I know I really wish there was an actual like physical event that we could all go to I yeah I'm so much fun and things. let's, let's, let's say
1: this time next year we'll be doing that right
0: <laughs> I
2: hope so I yeah. really hope so yeah so I'd I'd love it if yeah, you two came on the on the stream and then also people your listeners as well would would uh, come and join in on the
0: fun and celebrate it
1: yeah that's very exciting there's no
0: End point to activism, obviously Mm. Um, but what are your hopes for BC? Seen? My, my first hope personally is just to survive
2: and get through the year and, and try mm. to come out of the, the end of this whole thing. From Be Seen's perspective, uh, we are looking to incorporate as an actual charity so we're in the process of looking into that at the moment and doing that. So we'll be looking at fundraising, being able to work with more East and Southeast Asian people and be able to compensate them as well because we think that's really important and continue spreading the word. Like In the six months that we've been an organization a movement we've been featured on the BBC the Guardian quite Mm. ironically (laughs) we've worked with Amazon Music we're working with the cabinet office and we looked back actually because we were pulling together a a deck and then we put all the logos of the the organizations that we have spoken with and worked with and we're like wow we've done this in six months Mm. and this isn't just us it's our community as well that are doing this and we're doing this together and so I really hope to see more of that continuing we would love to you know broaden this out and have have more volunteers on on board and have like established roles for volunteers and just continue continuing doing the work and in terms of having people white allies also joining on the movement too because this is not exclusive to ec people we need the voices of white allies in order to amplify the work of people of color not just ec but people of color marginalized communities basically we need white people to fucking speak up (laughs) that's it
0: (laughs) that's it we need white people to speak up because, you know, because they're not the ones who are being, you know, emotionally or physically, mm-hmm. you know, invested. They're not the ones who are being directly traumatised. Mm-hmm. No, that's right. So we need more white allies to kind of speak up and yep. um, help, us, help us out a little bit so we don't get so tired mm-hmm. is the thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And so we would really like
2: to kind of almost break out of our echo chamber and be able to speak to wider audiences and, and and highlight why we're doing this essentially so we really hope for this year we've got some big plans and we've really hope to be doing more work continue this for the long term
1: and what would you say the best way would be for the listeners to get involved and get engaged so like follow be seen on your various platforms you've got a really good website as well so just just inform themselves do you think that's the best way yeah
2: yeah definitely we've got like amazingly we've got two really good creatives who are great at graphic design and stuff like that amy and carly which Mm. i'm so grateful for so we would say yeah follow our work also donate to us if we can that's also really important you know donate and and put your money where your mouth is you know like it's very very good to say that you're supporting our work but how are you actually doing it are you actually compensating people for their time in tackling racism free education that you're getting the free knowledge everything else uh, the labor involved and the trauma involved as well so yeah donate not even to us but to charities like Kangulan the Filipino charity to other EC charities that are out there at the moment I would say just just continue doing that and doing the good work
1: that reminds me, actually, talking about you know the the stuff that you guys have produced so far and how much you've achieved in the last six months. The report that's just come out that's on your website. Yes. can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: So, Be Seen and alongside other organisations, University of College of London, Sayac, which is a charity which helps migrants in the UK, and Kangulan and a few and, and the virus of Racism have been pulling together a report in response to the government putting out a questionnaire about racism representation and ethnic disparities in the uk and so we specifically have focused on ec issues from the health sector to education to people in positions of power and just how little that that is represented in the uk and so we essentially pull together this report as a collaborative thing between these organizations to highlight these different issues so it's there as a an actual concrete report and something that we've never actually had before mm. as a community. And so some of the facts are extremely stark. One that really stood out to me was that ET people make up 0.27% of the most powerful positions in the UK. That's so low, that's so mm. low. And then also when we look at the health sector as well, so more than 20% of NHS staff and more than 30% of nurses who died from COVID are Filipinos. Yeah. Filipinos and, yeah. yeah, and it's just, you know, it's a very, very stark and sad so reality. So disproportionate, so disproportionate. Mm. Exactly, exactly. So this report is there to highlight these issues that are faced across the different sectors.
1: Because I, I saw on your Instagram, on the BC and Instagram, you, you highlighted some of the other really quite shocking statistics so there's a thing about how there was a an mori poll from from l- last year which said that one in seven people in the uk intentionally avoid people of chinese origin or um appearance <laughs> it made me so yeah.
0: sad it is so sad oh, and you've experienced God. that yourself yeah. like you've literally- yeah on the tube yeah yeah. So, so. Even at work, microaggressions at work and the rest yeah. of it, you know. So you know, we've all experienced it. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's very real.
1: And the, and the thing about also children, pupils, um, EC pupils, mm. about how yeah. they're over assessed but considered mm-hmm. needing less support.
2: Yeah, so, yeah.
1: Ugh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's is,
2: yeah, I know. And like that's something that I've been thinking about recently with my own education and how I was very middle of the road, like I never really was like gifted and talented, but also mm. didn't I didn't require special attention. Mm. But I was also like seen as like a good student, quiet, you know, kept your head down type of student. And that is dangerous, mm. you know, that is dangerous and it completely underserves a
1: lot of EC students um mm. that might need that support. Yeah, because you yeah, there's this stereotype that you know, I think it's already laid on top of us right they assume mm. that we're not going to rock the boat or they assume that we're going to mm. be quiet. It's, it's quite funny I, I I located an old English teacher of mine he taught me a hell of a lot he was my sixth form English teacher and I, I acknowledged him in my first book and I finally found him and I emailed him and said hi oh, it's really nice to hear you blah, blah, blah. and mm. he replied to me and he said he said he always remembered me being quietly angry
0: <laughs>
2: it's like a weird thing to say. <laughs> Quietly angry. I love yeah. that. <laughs> I feel like so many people can resonate with that. But yeah. it's,
1: it's, again, I think that's also slightly a stereotype and you know, it's one, are we feeding into that or is it because that's been imposed on us? You know, it's kind of... Do you know where that came
2: from? The model minority myth, so like that, that kind of idea of being quiet, it's something that I've just read about last night. In, tell us um, more, tell us more. My, minority feelings. So Kathy Park Hong, the, the author, she talks about basically, I think it was like 1965, America opened up immigration for Asian people, but the only people they would let in would be doctors lawyers mechanics those who actually had a skill set so to speak and Mm -hmm. so that was very much perpetuated because we saw these like high achieving successful uh, asian american people Mm -hmm. coming over to america and like you know working hard keeping their head down good at studious etc and it was completely obviously like that's a subset of asian people it's it's the good immigrant isn't it exactly and and that's something that literally i was like oh shit i've heard this term so much but i actually don't know where it came from Mm. and just reading that last night i was like it makes so much sense we can uh, be useless too (laughs) 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 we can be lazy shits too
0: I, i advocate you know for being you know we we have the right to be You know, completely average. (laughs) We've
1: got the right to be useless. We've got the right to be average, but we still deserve the same rights. It shouldn't be
0: a prerequisite of us being treated well that we behave well, you know? Yeah, or or behave well, or that we're like amazing at maths or something. Do you know what I mean? Or we all become doctors, whatever. Exactly. You know, the rest of the population's allowed to be shit. (laughs) So, like, you know, I want to be shit as well. So, give me the right. Double standards. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs)
1: That was the brilliant Viv Yao, activist, podcaster, and director founder of B Influence UK and one sixth of B Scene. You can find her as it's Viv Yao on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, and you can find B Scene, Britain's East and Southeast Asian network, as b e s e a .n on Instagram and Twitter, and at bscene.co.uk. You can also join all of us for the Nano Sounds and B Scene Lunar New Year Twitch live stream on Saturday, the thirteenth of Feb, from two to five p.m.
0: Happy Lunar New Year! Happy
1: Lunar New Year! This was the MSG pod with Mimi A and Heung Black. The theme tunes by David Black and was produced by Venom Hill. Tune in next time when our guest will definitely be the chef Elizabeth Hague of May London. See you then.